0: It was involved in the original discussion where we first discussed the possibility of the community buying out Belfield and decided at that point to call a public meeting and just test what the mood of the local community was in relation to that. And of course, the rest, so to speak, is history. And that was probably two years ago, so a lot's happened over two years. And a lot. quite often communities, it takes them a lot longer than we've... We've been quite lucky, I think, uh, quite fortuitous with some of the timing the community about Dubai coming in to force at the right time for us and more funding becoming available to help acquire property for communities.
1: Because up until now, it's been rural communities who've had the right, but this was the first urban one.
0: Yes. I mean, historically, going back to the 2003 Land Reform Act, it was small rural communities, and that was the context for some quite significant community buyouts of large estates, islands, etc., And no one was quite sure how it would work in an urban context. I think the interest is much more around buildings, perhaps, than land. But yeah, I think that we were certainly the first urban community to use the community right to buy successfully. But hopefully many more will follow.
1: But how has this influenced the work that you do more broadly? Because having the personal experience of going
0: through this must actually give
1: you an insight when people actually come to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know the Development Trust Association Scotland, whom I work for, work with a lot of not just established groups, but communities who are looking to undertake similar sorts of projects. And you know, we quite globally say, look, this this involves a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of voluntary effort, etc. But doing it yourself just makes you appreciate how much what is required, really, and what are the things that keep people going, keep groups together, how you can take shortcuts, etc. And it also highlights where there's perhaps unnecessary barriers, frustrations that could be addressed to make it a a more straightforward process. It should never be easy, I think. Effectively, you're asking the Scottish Government to intervene in the the market, so there's got to be a public interest case. But I think it could be a bit more straightforward than it is. You said it shouldn't be easy, but presumably that is to ensure that those
1: who are really desperate for that land or that building have the commitment.
0: I think there has to be a, a commitment there, and I think certainly as part of the process where you're required to do both a petition and a ballot. There's a good test of the wider interest. You know, it's, it, you've know, you got to establish it's more than a small committee group of people that's taking this forward, and there is that wider support, because ultimately, and particularly in a project like Belfield, it's going to rely, it's going to fail or succeed on the basis of people using the building and seeing it as part of the local community and, and making demand on the spaces. And of course, the people who are involved in the original committee,
1: they're going to move on. And it's got to be the people with the same kind of vision and enthusiasm who then come in behind.
0: Absolutely. And there's been, a, I suppose, a kind of relatively small core group of people who've been at the heart of this since the start. But you're right that succession is really important, that hopefully we're buying the building on behalf of future generations. Therefore, you need to have some kind of succession plan in place. Particularly, I think it's important to involve young people, try and foster a sense of ownership amongst young people. That is the community's building, it's the community's resource, and hopefully a small number of them will get involved and and pick up the cudgels when required. Okay, let's look a wee bit wider, and I'd like you to tell me a bit about the association. The Development Trust Association in Scotland was formed 15 years ago. And that was in response to various communities almost organically looking for different ways to do things to address local issues, to regenerate their communities, to create better places, etc. And from a standing start, we've now got 260 members with another probably 30 communities currently in the process of setting up a development trust. So they're out consulting their communities, putting the legal framework in place, deciding what the community priorities are, etc. Is there a definition of what a community trust is? (laughs) There's not a succinct definition. But a development trust is effectively a community-led organisation that's committed to trying to address local issues through a combination of local creativity, passion, enterprise, quite often community ownership is part of that. They are not single-issue organisations, so they're trying to think about how to improve the quality of life by looking across the economic, social, cultural, environmental spheres. And quite often when you do that, you see synergies, etc. So A development trust is not a specifically real entity, it's more an approach to placemaking or community-led regeneration.
1: There have been some real success stories, however. One thinks, for example, of Egg, which is not just a community buyout, but they've actually started to repopulate the island.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that for large parts of remote rural Scotland, where people understandably feel abandoned by both the market and the public sector, and there's been a history of having to do things for themselves to some extent, it's created an opportunity for the communities to come together to find the confidence to take on the ownership of their island or the land with a view to trying to make a better job of creating housing, employment opportunities, etc. And I think in these areas where there is real challenges around depopulation, then there's been some, some marked successes. Gear is probably one of the interesting ones where... As I understand it, it's went from being the fastest depopulating island in Scotland to the fastest repopulating island over a you know ten fifteen year period since community ownership.
1: And of course, some of them have diversified. It's they're no longer crofting communities. There there are islands which are now self sufficient in power, and in fact, I think are in some cases
0: exporting it to the mainland. Yes, I mean communities have found different ways to generate income, diversify local economies, split up land holdings, and also. Try to develop different markets, create different opportunities for local businesses, for artists in some cases, perhaps develop the tourist offering, etc. But fundamentally, it's having the ownership of that land that gives them the makes it all that kind of approach possible.
1: There are many frustrated communities around Scotland. Though one thinks, for example, somewhere like Applecross, which has been pleading for years with the landowner to let them build new ho- yeah. new houses there, and it never happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that part of land reform and part of the whole community ownership legislative framework is around trying to assist this process and look at where there are specific problems and specific problematic landowners who, for whatever reason, are not interested or able or willing to work with local communities. There's lots of landowners out there who are very willing and able to work with local communities, but sometimes you need to create a, a backstop power to bring people to the table and get them to take a, a broader view of what needs to happen. And there's a real challenge in Scotland about how we save or sustain not just rural communities, but lots of small towns and uh, that are particularly developed around a single industry, for instance. One
1: thought, maybe not around a single industry, but around a, another single building, was to do with Castle Milk.
0: Yes, one of the interesting sort of developments within Scotland has been the phenomena of community-based Community led housing associations and housing cooperatives, which again have given people, local people, confidence and resources and a capacity to then look on to look at things beyond housing. And Castle Mock's an example where the only old building remaining and serving a population of 30,000 people was a formal stables block. And the Housing Association, or the Castleton Trust as it became, took on that building and over a period of years raised money to bring that back into use. And it's now quite a stunning refurbished building, very well used by the community. All sorts of activities take place there and has never been once vandalised by local people.
1: Which brings us back into community and indeed to other potential projects in our own home area here in Portobello. Because one thinks of the George, one thinks of Westfield, which are two really significant potential mm-hmm. areas where community involvement is becoming paramount.
0: My kind of experience of Portobello has been it has had a number of fairly strong campaigns, and that's fine, but at some point I think there's a kind of negativity about constantly campaigning, and I think the ability of the community to do something proactively rather than reactively is quite important because that can energise people, but I also I think it gives people a sense of what could happen and what kind of place we could create here. I mean, I think most folk who live in Portobello really enjoy living in it. But, like all communities, there are challenges, and part of our challenge, I think, is a lot of new housing, a growing population, but a d- a less and less public amenity facilities. So I think the George, having a sufficient play space for children, leisure space, etc., is all important if we want to create a vibrant, thriving community in the years to come.
1: So, is the association there to help if people from here knock on your door, so to speak?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We get lots of phone calls, both from established organisations who have been doing this for some years but didn't really know what they were. And and, and lot of say, well, we, we stumbled across your website and they thought, actually, that's what we're a development trust. That's exactly what we're doing. And they, they join us and they become part of a much bigger and quite sort of uh, exciting dynamic network. But equally, we get phone calls from communities who have a particular challenge or an opportunity or a threat, perhaps, and want to look at what they can do themselves to, to respond to that. And I think part of this is about... Local communities, local people taking a bit more responsibility and finding different ways, new ways to, to do things, to make things work, to make things happen, whether it's turning around a failing business, whether it's kind of finding a different use for a former public sector asset, etc. That idea of bringing new ideas, a fresh approach, perhaps a bit more enterprising approach, is really at the heart of this approach.
1: Well, it sounds as though there is an awful lot of interesting things happening. I know the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. But in this particular case, I think it's interesting enough that uh, we should be looking very carefully at what you and the association are doing to help communities around Scotland achieve their own aims. Thank you.
0: Thank you.